So for our reading, we'll read from John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. This is probably the single most important decision in a person's life. Jesus was waking Nicodemus up to that very thing. When Nicodemus first came to Jesus, it was with some niceties, some politeness. Right? He comes and he says, look, we recognize that you've got to be from God because nobody can do the things you're doing unless God's with him. Jesus just like hits him square, just says, unless you're born again, you're not even going to see the kingdom of God. What a shock that would have been to him. But Jesus just tells him flat out, unless you're born again, you will not see the kingdom of God. That has got to be the single most important thing for Nicodemus' life. That's got to be the single most important event right there, that conversation with Christ. Because it would dictate his whole future, his whole eternity. Whether or not he gets to see heaven, be a part of heaven, be a part of the kingdom of God, or whether or not he would spend his whole eternity condemned by God and in the fires of hell. But you know what? It's no less important for us than it was for Nicodemus. Because we have the same issue before us. Jesus Christ gave this to the conversation of Nicodemus to us through the Apostle John so that we could be wrestling with the same issues, so that we could be looking at the same arguments and understanding the same principles so that it would do the same thing, bring us to that point of belief to where we can experience eternal life as well. In fact, if you remember, and I've repeated it many times at this point, I'm going to repeat it a lot more, that's the whole goal of the whole Gospel of John. He says, I've written these things down so that you can believe and that in believing you will have eternal life. And we get to see Nicodemus' journey from death to life. 
in the hopes that it also transforms our journey into the same experience that we move from death to life. Well, as we look at it here this morning, the emphatic that Jesus puts upon it is that Nicodemus must be born again. He says, do not marvel. He says, don't be surprised that I would tell you this, but you must be born again. And that is the exhortation to all of us this morning, is that if you have not experienced a new birth, then you are not born into the family of God. We must experience that new birth. Now, as we looked at it, we saw that there are five questions through this passage that get answered by Jesus in this situation. We'll just review the first couple quickly as we spent a lot of time in them last week. The first one is, well, what exactly does this mean? And that's the one Nicodemus came back with. He says, what are you talking about? Can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus says, no, it's not a physical birth. It's a spiritual birth. He says, you've got to be born of the water and the Spirit. And the water was, I believe, a symbol of the Spirit or an analogy of the Spirit. Jesus is basically pointing him back to Ezekiel. And we went and looked there. And we saw where Ezekiel promised the children of Israel, he says, look, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And then he connected that to the Spirit. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And that's found in Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel chapter 37, then he takes Ezekiel out to this valley of dry bones. There's all these old bones from skeletons spread across the valley. And God tells Ezekiel, prophesy over these bones. And Ezekiel prophesies over the bones and they click back together and they stand up. And then he says, prophesy over them again. And when he prophesies over them again, then they breathe in the breath of life and they become a living being. And... God tells Ezekiel at that time, He says, O my people, then I will put My Spirit within you and you shall live. And so I believe that Jesus is with Nicodemus, someone who would be very familiar with Ezekiel and all the other prophets, and He's pointing Nicodemus back to Ezekiel and He's saying, this shouldn't be a surprise to you. I told you that you were going to need to have the Spirit of God put within you, that your dead bones were going to need to become alive. We're going to need to experience this new birth. What does it mean exactly? It means that we get a spiritual life, that God puts His Spirit within us. It's not talking about our spirit, that we were made body and spirit or body and soul. It's not talking about the part of us. It's talking about the Holy Spirit that comes to reside in us at the moment that we put our faith in Christ. And that regeneration is the theological term that we use for it. That experience of regeneration, new life, new birth, is a spiritual life that takes place when we are born again. So to be born again means to be born of the Spirit. Who is it for? We looked at that last week too. John 3.16 points out very simply, it says, for God so loved the world. So it's for every one of us. And we spent quite a bit of time at this point looking at Nicodemus and saying, look, Nicodemus was a guy that was a, a leader. He was a teacher. He was a Bible scholar. He was a moral man. He would have been a good man by human standards. And if Jesus looks at Nicodemus and says, you need to be born again, (laughs) well then, uh, I think it applies to us. And what was Jesus' conclusion? Because Nicodemus questioned him on it, Jesus came right back around, and it was emphatic. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. We then compared him to Paul. Paul also was a Pharisee. You know what? Paul made the right choice. In Philippians chapter 3, he says, whatever gain I had... He means by being a Pharisee and being moral and religious and all those things. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. 
You see, that's the point Nicodemus was at. Nicodemus was at the point where he'd a, a, a built a whole life out of trying to make himself righteous before God. And Jesus looks at him and says, you haven't made it. And you're not going to make it. You need to be born again. And it really comes down to those two things. My righteousness or the righteousness of Christ accredited to my account. My righteousness never adds up. My righteousness never achieves approval before God. But Christ's righteousness, that is completely sufficient. The Apostle Paul went on and said, Indeed, I count everything a loss. In fact, a little bit later, he says, I count them as rubbish. He says, all the righteousnesses that I worked up in my life, he says, I'll throw it all away. Then I can have the righteousness of Christ. He would lament the same over Israel when he looked at Israel as a nation. He says, that's the issue right there. They had a zeal for God. They were excited about God. They had a very religious people. He said, but they're missing it. Because being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, God's righteousness was provided for us through Jesus Christ. He came and He lived that righteous life, laid down His life on the cross, and then rose again from the dead to give victory over sin and death and to give us His righteousness. He makes us a trade. The best trade in the history of the world and in the future of the world. You get to trade your sin for His righteousness. It's that simple. You see, that's exactly what Nicodemus was struggling with. All the stuff that I've worked at my whole life, that's nothing. And I just received this gift of life from you, this traveling preacher, pretty much. That's it. You know, when you've tried to build something, it's hard to let go of it. And that's what Nicodemus is struggling with at this point. It doesn't appear that he gets all the way there in this conversation with Christ, but I don't think it's very far down the road it sinks in. Because we find evidence later that he did become a believer in Jesus Christ. He did let loose of his own righteousness to receive the righteousness of Christ. And so who is it for? You know what? It's for all of us. I remember the day when I was wrestling with this myself. When all of a sudden I realized that I was standing before God, a very unrighteous person. And you know what the first thing I tried to do? Tried to cling to my righteousness. I thought, that can't be right. I'm sitting in church for crying out loud. I'm a church-going person. I'm a good person. Doesn't that, isn't that a, a check in my column? In fact, I've been going to church. I thought I've been going to church Sunday nights, Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, regularly for like a year and a half. That's, that seems good. We had some work days at the church and I showed up and participated and helped in those things. We had evangelistic services for a week at our church. We had an evangelist come and preach the Gospel every night and everybody would invite their friends and neighbors to come and hear the Gospel. That kind of thing. And one of the things that we wanted to happen in that church is we wanted around-the-clock prayer at the church for these revival meetings. And I remember thinking, you know what? It's going to be easy to fill in the daylight time slots. So I'm going, to, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to see what's left to sign up for in the end. And I'm going to sign up for the ones that are harder to fill. And so I ended up signing up for time slots for like from 2 to 3 in the morning. Or from 1 to 2 in the morning. And I was taking the harder slots because I wanted to make sure there was prayer around the clock for these revival meetings. I wasn't even a Christian yet. didn't really know what one was. But that's one of the things I pulled up before God. I'm like, look, i got to be a good guy. A bad guy wouldn't do that. I started clinging to my own righteousness. And you know what the whole battle was about? 
Okay, you got what? Five things there that you're kind of holding up before me? You really want to hold on to those? When you have the whole righteousness of Christ, if you hold on to these, you pretty much got nothing. You hold on to that, you've got everything. You know what? At the end of that service, it was a pretty easy decision. I just got up and walked forward and received Christ as my Savior. And that's the moment I was born again. You know, who's this for? This is for Nicodemus. This is for the Apostle Paul. You know what? This is for me. This is for you. God so loved the world. This is for all of us. Well, why is it necessary? Why do we need it? What is such the big big deal? Nicodemus seemed like a good guy doing his best through life. Why does he need to be born again? Why does he must be born again? Why do we need to be born again? Well, that answer is found in John chapter 3 and verse 18. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. We've had our condemnation removed. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, we don't start out as a blank slate that then uh, has to be corrupted. We actually start out corrupt. We inherit the sinful nature of Adam and Eve. And so when we come into this world, we come into this world as a sinner. What is our condition without Christ? Condemned already. We're already condemned. We sin because we're sinners. We act according to our nature. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. Why didn't He come into the world to condemn the world? Because the world is already condemned. We're already condemned. He came to deliver us from that condemnation. You've got to go back to Adam and Eve to find the reason for this. Why is the new birth necessary? Because without Christ, we are dead. We're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. Remember in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17, it says, But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, as God was talking to Adam. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Now, if we look back at the events there, we find an interesting thing concerning death. We find that the day that they ate of that fruit, they did not physically die. The reason that they did not physically die that day is because God allowed a substitute. He allowed the animal to be slain to take the skins off the animal to provide a covering for Adam and Eve to cover their sins, to cover their guilt. And it's the first hint of the Gospel we got because one day God was going to send His Son to be the Lamb of God to die in our place so that His death would not only cover our sins, but take them away. And so God in His mercy allowed a substitute to die in their place on that day. But there's another death that happens there too. You know, the Bible speaks of death in a couple of different ways. About three actually. There's a physical death. Genesis chapter 35, verse 18, for example, says, And it came to pass as her spirit was departing because she died. She was, she was dying, giving, giving birth to Benjamin. And as she dies, the Bible describes it this way, as her spirit was departing. You see, a death is always a separation. Physical death is a separation of your spirit from your body. That's what physical death is. But you know what? There's a spiritual death as well. And that spiritual death is also a separation. What did you see happen in Adam and Eve's life that day? When they ate from the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat from, they rebelled against God, they get kicked out of the garden. What just happened? They became separated from God. If you're separated from God, the source of life, then you are dead. They would eventually die physically, but many years later... So there's that sentence of death upon them. There's the act of mercy by God and the substitute. And then there's the separation of them from God. They died spiritually because they were kicked out of the presence 
of God. We find other hints to that. I think of Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. It says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. See the same principle. Sin separates us from God. Ephesians. Usually when we go to Ephesians chapter 2, it's in verses 8 and following. Because we like to focus on the grace of God. It's for by grace you've been saved through faith. And so those are where we usually go to. But you know where that chapter started? That chapter started in verse 1. And it says this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins. But then it goes on to say, But God in His great mercy, He makes us alive in Christ. You see, the reason that we need to be born again is because we're under that condemnation. We're spiritually dead before God, before coming to Christ. We're not alive. We're dead. We need to be made alive. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7, in talking about the, our relationship to the law, he says the very commandment that promised life, because that's what the law did promise, says if you do these things, you live in these things, you will live. He says it proved to be death to me. The commandment that if you could keep all the commands would bring you life, but none of us are able to keep all the commandments. So what did it bring? It brought, it brought death. You see, that's the point. Why is this necessary? Nicodemus did a lot of good things. Why does he need a new birth? Well, it's because he's spiritually dead outside of Christ. In order to be part of the kingdom of God, you've got to be spiritually alive. He is separated from the righteousness of God. He needed to be brought into the righteousness of God. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ came to do on that cross and through His resurrection. And so why is it necessary? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. It's because ever since the time of the Garden of Eden, when they first ate that piece of fruit, we entered under condemnation and we experienced a separation from God. We became dead spiritually until that new birth takes place. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life and ignites that life with inside of us. That is the new birth that Jesus is talking about. Now, where the rubber meets the road, how does this happen? How does, how does this work? Well, we already got a hint of it back in John chapter 1. Remember in John chapter 1 and verses 12 and 13, it had just talked about how Jesus came to His own and His own did not receive Him. They did not welcome Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We see in John chapter 1, He was already talking about the new birth. He's already talking about us being born again. Why? Because He said, look, those who didn't receive them, which He came to His own, and His own did not welcome Him. They did not receive Him. But, so where did they stay? They stayed under their condemnation. But, to those who did receive Him, well, what does that mean? To those who believed in His name. To them He gave the right to become children of God, who were born, not by the will of man, but by the will of God. So already in chapter 1, He was pointing us towards that new birth. When we get to John chapter 3, and Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and He tries to explain it to Nicodemus, He takes him back to Numbers chapter 21. So this is when the children of Israel are wandering around in the wilderness, headed toward the promised land, but it's going to take 40 years to get there. And in that experience, this is what happens. It says, "...the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness?" For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. So the manna, they're getting a little bit tired of it. 
Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that He take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if the serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now we talked about that a little bit last week. Remember we talked about what is happening here. What takes place when they would do this? There's two things that take place. First of all, they're bit by the serpent and they acknowledge their death. They know they're going to die. We talked about that, how it's not really until you understand your condition before God. It's not until you understand that you're condemned that you realize you need a Savior, that you need a Deliverer. It's at the moment that you realize your condition before God, that you're under this curse before God, that all of a sudden you need the One who became a curse for us. And so we we talked about that, a recognition of guilt, or a recognition of our condition before God. When they got bit by the snake, they realized they're in trouble. You know, that's why it took me, I think, a year and a half of going to church regularly before I finally came to Christ. I just did not recognize my guilt until that day. And then all of a sudden I saw it clearly. Now all of a sudden I knew I need a Savior. I need out of this. Had that little struggle with my stuff, but ultimately I'm going to drop that stuff and go with Christ. You see, that's what the people there, they got bit by these snakes that they've been watching everybody else die from. They know what's happening next. And so then what's the next step? The next step is faith. That understanding of your condition needs to lead to faith. Because what do they do? They go to look at the serpent. What does looking at a serpent on a pole do for anybody? Nothing. It's hung with us for a long time. It's painted on the side of our ambulances and hospitals and things like that as an emblem and seal of healing. But just looking at a serpent on a pole doesn't do anything unless God tells you to do it. And they believed God. And so they went and they looked at the serpent on the pole and they were healed. And Jesus uses that story. And in John chapter 3, verses 14-16, through 16, says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Moses takes that serpent and puts it on a pole and lifts it up. The Roman soldiers took Christ and nailed Him to a cross and lifted Him up. And what is the outcome? That whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. He repeats it twice, both, of, both parts of it. How does this happen? How does it take place? Whoever believes in Him. John 3.16, whoever believes in Him. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, so that whoever believes in Him. It's really plain and simple. How do we experience a new birth? You believe in Him. You recognize that you're sin before God, and you thank Him for dying on the cross for Him, and you just invite Him to be your Savior, and boom, you're born again. Because you set down your righteousnesses. You said, it's no longer about what I can do before God. God isn't going to look down and welcome me into heaven in my sin and my condemned condition. I need to be born again. I'm ready to set that stuff down. I'll get rid of that stuff if I can have Christ. And you embrace Christ and the Holy Spirit comes in you and you're born again. You know, First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Peter would attest to this. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His great mercy... He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then in verse 23, he says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding Word of God. 
You see, it's within the Word of God that we hear the truth of the Gospel and our heart responds and we believe and we receive that eternal life and that new birth. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, as the Apostle Paul would write to him, he would say, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. Those were the things Nicodemus was hanging on to. Those were the things I was hanging on to. But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. That word regeneration is exactly what we're talking about. It means the new birth. It means the Holy Spirit igniting life into our dead bodies. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it would say, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. We experience a whole transformation of our lives. Why? Because, you know what? A dead body looks quite different from a live one. Live ones are much more active <laughs> in the right directions. If anybody's in Christ, you're a new creature. The old's gone. You're, you're born again. This is the most important decision, the most important point in anybody's life to receive that new birth. It dictates your whole future. Your future left on this earth, what it's going to be like. You're going to live that new creation life or are you going to be stuck in your sin and condemnation? But you know what? Nicodemus had a struggle with it. If it's such a great deal, why did he have that struggle with it? I had a struggle with it. Why? There's something in us that wants to hang on to our achievements, hang on to our our ability to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. If I can't get there on my own, I don't want to go. Foolish idea. Really foolish idea. But there's something in us that struggles with that, that fights with that. And that's, that's the last question. The last question as we look at this passage that I'm seeing, and I'm not saying I'm not missing some, is what's the holdup? What in the world would hold people back from all the splendors of heaven and the glories of Christ so what's the holdup? Why isn't everybody jumping on this bus? Well, he answers it. And this is the judgment. Light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. You see, that's the part right there. The Gospel, the first thing it does is it exposes us for who we are. It exposes us for the sin in our life. It exposes us that we're dead instead of alive. It exposes us that we're outside of the garden and not in the garden anymore. It exposes us that we're separated from God and not accepted. And we don't like to be exposed. We don't like to be vulnerable like that. You know, when you're in a totally dark room and you turn the lights on, it kind of hurts the eyes. First response is to shut the eyes. Put your hands over your face maybe. Shut the light back off. When God shines His light at first, that's, that's our first reaction. Our first reaction is always. But you know what? If we're going to experience that new birth, we need to leave the lights on. We need to let it do its exposing work. I remember the morning I came to Christ, as I've told you many times, it was at the very beginning of the service that I felt convicted of my state before God. And I wrestled with it the entire service. And I thought I had won. I thought I'd got to the point where, oh, I'm fine. I'm okay. And the piano players started playing and they gave an invitation at that church all the time and I just walked forward and told the pastor I needed to be saved. But I thought with that, the, the, the light in the eyes was hurting that whole... For an hour, I wrestled with it before I finally submitted to the righteousness of Christ. And you know what? I did win. I did win. If I'd have hung on to my righteousness, I lose. 
But I let go of my righteousness. And I believed on Christ. And I got all of His righteousness. And so I won. My eternity is set. I get to be with Christ. And you know what? Every day since then, I get to live with Christ. I get to live that new life instead of that old dead one. That's a great thing. You know, you might be sitting here or listening in later, going through that same struggle right now. You might be holding your list of things that you thought were going to get you before God. You might have your things that you're struggling with and having a hard time putting down. Let me just encourage you, somebody that's walked that path already, put them down. You're holding nothing. You have an opportunity to gain everything. You must be born again.